All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Today we've got a special episode for you. We're here with Sue Zoldak. And we're going to be talking about what has been going on with respect to the school boards here in Fairfax County uh, and really school boards all over the country with respect to the teaching of critical race theory, as well as some other policies that we see coming up, not just in the Commonwealth of Virginia, but across the country. And Sue has been on the front lines of really sticking up for our parents, sticking up for our students, and this idea of you know, a lot of times I, I think, and I'll let you speak for yourself on this one, but a lot of times we see this situation where anytime a parent comes before a school board now with respect to critical race theory, um, the left automatically attacks them as not wanting to teach real history, wanting to whitewash history, or just straight up accuses of white supremacy. And you, you've been standing up to all of this. And so what I'd like to know first for everyone that's watching, everyone that's listening, tell us a little bit about yourself and you know why is this an issue that really motivated you to not only say something, but to step forward, work with other parents in order to push back against this? Definitely. So first of all, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to talk about this as you know, anyone who's um, been here in Fairfax with me knows I'm very passionate about this issue. I'm very passionate about um, lifting up the voices of some of, you know, a lot of parents and families that have felt unheard mm -hmm. um, for a very long time in Fairfax and just really cultivating parent advocacy all across the nation. I mean, I think we've seen in this past year since the pandemic um, started in March 2020 that a lot of parents have really sprung up all across the country um, to really take part in the, this conversation, this really important conversation. So for me, that's when this started, you know, when schools shut down and I realized along with, you know, a couple dozen other parents that something is wrong with about with the way that our schools are being run and it's coming from the top, the superintendent's office, the school boards that they are not really reflecting the constituents, the makeup of the the families that they represent that they seem to be going in just the direction that they want to go as if a lot of our voices didn't exist and whether that is you know 
special education families, military families, conservative families, any kind of family. We're hearing from staff, just this is an administration and a school board that has not been listening to us for a very long time. And I was shocked to hear that. And so that is really the birth of the group that I founded, Do Better FCPS. And we just want more transparency, better communication, more accountability, mm -hmm. um, and just a return to a focus on quality education as the number one focus, as opposed to some of these things like you're mentioning critical race theory. So when you say quality education, um, I mean, obviously people can disagree with respect to what that constitutes. But what I find when I talk to most parents and even teachers um, as well, there, there are some things that we, there's some things that are controversial that we might not agree on with respect, falls into that realm of a quality education. There's other thing that it seems like everyone agrees on, like basic things like literacy rates, mathematics, whatnot. One of the things that I, I look at with some of these more controversial issues is I'll go into that school and I'll take a look at, okay, how are you doing on all of the core fundamentals? And have you just nailed those? Or do you, and, and so you just have all this extra time to go into incredibly controversial ways of teaching things? Or are you distracting? Now, what's your take on that? When you, when you look at a quality education, because again, you're, you've, you've been caricatured by the press, by the left, by you know, people like Delegate Marcus Simon in one way. So just let everyone know, like what, when you say quality education, what does that mean for you? I'm a former teacher. So yeah. I uh, taught middle school math for six years, um, was the department chair, was the eighth grade team lead. A quality education means first and foremost, investing in your teaching staff in their professional development and making sure that they are able to renew their skills, learn the latest in pedagogy, um, being able to talk to other people in their field. So currently in Fairfax County, the entire professional development budget falls under the equity office. <laughs> And we have teachers. And, and you're telling me the equity office's priority is not making sure that teachers are up to date on the latest techniques and technology and you know, pedagogy? I don't <laughs> want to speak on behalf of the equity office, but something tells me in the way that the budget's labeled that, um, and also um, we have had teachers tell us, you know, the last three or four professional development days, as we know, those are limited and, and very, you know, sacred for the teachers because they're, they have to take a day off and they know that children are missing a day of school and you, you know as parents we're like uh you know another that's another day on the calendar that we don't have school we, they're, they're, they don't you know it's not every other week that yeah. a teacher is getting to fly off to a conference or doing this and that we know that there's only a few days during the school year right we've had teachers tell us that the last three or four times that they've had a professional day off if they're entirely focused on critical race theory or what they call diversity and equity training mm -hmm. and that they haven't had a professional development day centered around their actual subject matter in years really yes so this this is fascinating because like the american federation of teachers union she came out and said that critical race theory is not being taught to elementary school, middle school, high school. I mean, she came right out and said that. At the same time that they had Imer Mix Kendi at a, you know, a teachers union event, and basically he was hosting his whole concept. And he was, he was there advocating that it should be taught at elementary school level. So here, here's my question. When, when, you, when you see someone like that, the head of an incredibly powerful um, teachers union, coming out saying that this is not being taught, but then the last three 
you know, the opportunities the teachers have had that are, that are supposed to be focused on bringing them up to speed with respect to the latest and greatest within their particular field has instead been focused on this sort of equity training. And, and are, we, are, are we assuming that it's based off of this critical race theory concept or we know it's being based off of it? Well, you know, there's, there's varying degrees of it. And, and this is where I think a, 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 there's a lot of misconception out in the media because a lot of people like to say, well, it's not, you know, it's not in the history class. And of course, in history, we should teach more about slavery. We should teach more about the oppressed and the histories, um, not just in our country, but you know, worldwide. And I say 100% I agree with that. And I know, I don't know anyone who does not agree with that. But mm -hmm. what the media likes to twist around and what our opponents like to twist around is that critical race theory is about history class. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely not about history class. Mm -hmm. um, that is just such an inaccurate statement. Critical race theory is not about one single class. It is about training the entire teaching staff about an ideology that says there is not an American dream mm -hmm that there is no hope for you to achieve in the traditional fashion, that capitalism is the machine of white supremacists, that the founding fathers built our country on white supremacist and racist concepts. And these concepts are being taught not in history class, but in advisory sessions, meaning the guidance sessions that you're meeting with your, your advisory teacher when you're supposed to be you know, meeting with teachers to talk about your whole academic view, your career, your, your emotions. It's in uh, health class, it's in art class, it's in every single class. So let me ask you, let me ask you on that. So one of the things is I've, I've looked at critical race there and I've looked at the Frankfurt School and kind of the, the original ideas behind this, whether it was you know, different papers that were put out at Harvard and, and as a legal concept. What I've seen is that critical race theory, is, it's a fairly complex theory, but to your point, this isn't just about, like every, every time there's an opposition to critical race theory being taught, it, we all get it narrowed it down to this one thing, and that is, well, you don't want to teach an accurate history of power structures or how they've affected people. And I don't know anybody that's got a problem with teaching that. It, it's all of these other categories where we're going to place narrative over facts and evidence or statistics, or like kind of this postmodernist view of looking at power structures and the idea that you know this oppressor and oppressed is is an inevitability and. To me, it almost seems like it, it's not as if we're, um, to your point, it, it's not as if it's an accurate retelling of history. Instead, it's creating a lens for which you're supposed to view all of reality. Of, of, your, of every action that you take. It's, yeah. it's telling children as young as kindergarten that if you participate in just the market economy as it is without protesting it, mm -hmm that you are a racist. I mean, that is to put, I think, a very damaging emotional burden mm -hmm. on a six-year-old. <laughs> and not only that, I vehemently disagree with that categorization yeah. of, of the free market. What I, I, one of the things I find interesting about this is, you know, obviously in some places they've been talking about you know, banning or whatnot. 
And again, it, it's this idea, well, this is just an accurate retelling of history. Like, okay, well, no, it's, it's a lens for which you want to view everything. And then my, my idea is, is that if this is really about education, then theoretically you would think that, okay, this, this is a fairly controversial way to think about something. So what's the alternative? What's the alternative theory that you're putting up against it in order to give students kind of a, a, a fair understanding of, hey, this is how some people view the world. This is how other view, people view the world. Here's another way to view. It doesn't sound like they're advocating for a, a variety of pers- yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound like they're they're advocating for critical thinking of critical race theory. It's more like no, you have to accept this or. You're racist. You're wrong. And and not only that, it's creating an environment where if you don't point out people who aren't following our rules, Mm. you're just as much to blame. Now, again, I find this psychology very troubling. Mm. So it's, it's, you know, we had a high school who sent out, again, people want to, this is a, a, was a school-wide or a very, it did not happen in history class, sent out a survey and asked children um, in high school, have you ever tried to use a foreign accent? Um, Have you ever tried to salsa dance? If you answered yes to some of these questions, you are potentially have racist tendencies. Oh my god! I mean, children came home confused, crying, saying, I, I didn't know that, you know, practicing a foreign accent made me potentially racist. I want to be an actress. I, I just thought, I mean, they're, they're flustered, they're confused, and they don't put that in context. They just, to context, they just say, these things are not to be done. And they have, we have video of these people coming in and saying, salsa dancing, if you don't, if you don't, if you just learn to salsa dance, but you don't learn the entire cultural construct around salsa dancing, you are part of the problem in society. This is going on in our public schools in Fairfax? This is, yes. We have it on videotape, and this is what people say, you know, you know, it's not happening because we looked at the history curriculum and these lessons aren't happening. I'm saying to you, it's not happening in history. It's happening as a school-wide presentation, um, you know, and, and this is not okay. This is not curriculum that's approved in any way, shape, or form. Um, it, you know, and it's being, you know, the book stamped, for example, we know is being assigned to summer reading um, for uh, multiple high schools and elementary schools. And then they're going to have this student-led conversation where a group of students is going to lead the teachers in, you know, kind of a book club uh, yeah. reading of the book stamped. And I'm, uh, I'm sure conservative students will get the same time as all the other students. And, right? But but that's so that's the thing. I mean, you know, tolerance is a two-way street. I mean, there what if you what if you don't believe in the ideology? Because it is ideology, it's an opinion mm-hmm. that's in the book stamped. This is not a history book. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. This is not a math book. It is a book of opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and to say that every student has to participate in it and not only that, agree with it, and if you don't agree with it, you are a racist. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very intimidating, um, almost cult-like structure to me that is the exact opposite of diversity and yeah. tolerance. Well, I mean, speak, speaking of that, because <laughs> no, that, that all, again, that all makes sense to me. And, and as, I'm, as I'm hearing you describe this, this seems infinitely reasonable. And in fact, I would hope that if someone is watching this that is, is more left-wing or center-left or whatever it is, I hope they would be able to look at this and be like, okay, 
maybe I, maybe they do think critical race theory is is a legitimate thing that should be taught, but the idea that you would you would teach this as if this is fact, this is reality, and you wouldn't offer any other, or you wouldn't even allow for other counter perspectives. And if somebody views a counter perspective or voices a counter perspective, then according to this theory, they're automatically a racist. I would hope most people look at that and be like, okay, that's not the sort of academic environment that we want our kids to be into. It, it's, it's fine to assess different theories and the facts and the data and the perspectives behind those theories and be able to compare them. Now, I, I would argue that if you're maybe if you're doing this in certain like AP classes in high school or if you're doing it in college, okay, great. I kind of ex I kind of expect that. But but to teach a a worldview focused class in like elementary, middle school, or even the lower grades in high school, where you're that to me sounds more like conditioning, yes. and I don't mean conditioning toward what's the best way to understand math or you know how to how to achieve higher literacy rates or greater critical thinking when even critical thinking itself is under attack as a western concept and what i don't understand about that is when i look at things like the scientific method or the laws of logic these are first of all they're not white ideas i wouldn't even say that they're they're not even western ideas they're just observations about reality and they're available to everyone and it seems like what we see is that when you effectively apply them, you do well. Like when you when you work hard, when you um, when you think critically, when you properly apply the scientific method, you, you tend to succeed uh, along with other you know you know good social decisions with just being a good decent human being. And to essentially say that well no this is part of a Western oppressor construct. My gosh, what's the alternative? And, and, and if you're gonna say that the only alternative is to view everything through the lens of critical race theory, and if you don't do that, you're this seems like circular reasoning. Well, you know, and what it seems like is, you know, something that is very, very bad for society. I mean, being, having been born, uh, I was born in Taiwan, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've spent my life trying to explain to people what is the difference between Taiwan and China, mm -hmm. where in China you can't have your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. If you do share your thoughts, you are shot or, you know, Punished you literally go, yeah. you, you literally can go missing uh, for having thoughts that are different than you're told to have. This is not an exaggeration, okay? Mm -hmm. This is how life can be. Mm -hmm. That is extraordinarily similar to where we're going with this and I don't understand how people don't see that now you know I'll, I'll say I don't have any problem with with teachers and students studying the book stamped or other readings as long as it's in reference like you're saying with here's a book and here's another book they're different worldviews let's study them critically and let's compare the two let's discuss what do you think? You know, let's talk about the founding fathers. Let's read some of their work. Let's study their context. Let's study this view of their work versus this view of their work. That is perfectly acceptable. But to bring in a book that says the founding fathers built this entire country on racist constructs and then just drop it and yeah. leave it at that and say, that's it. And if you believe otherwise, you are part of you are just as racist as they were mm -hmm. that's 
That's yeah. a very different. That's well, and, not and academic point, teaching. Well, at what point we? Yeah, we got to ask the question from a, from a pedagogical, you know, viewpoint as well. Is that at what point does education become indoctrination? And and the distinction that I've always made is that education is essentially the freedom of inquiry. It's the idea that we're going to look at multiple perspectives on facts, evidence, events, and using a a a process, hopefully a logical thought process, we're, we're going to try to come to relevant conclusions about what happened, why it happened, and what motivated people. And for the purpose of how do we do better, right? How, how do we always improve? If we think something went well, great. How do we make it even better? If we think something went bad, how do we correct for it? I think all of that's reasonable. Indoctrination to me has always fallen into the realm of one of two things. Either there's a coercive nature. It's like you will believe this or else. Um, and and that, can, that can come with the threat of you know violence or legal action and obviously when the government acts the government acts with the threat of coercion right you're you're not allowed to go against what the government um, essentially puts into law the the other side of indoctrination maybe it's a more of a softer form is this idea of insisting and, and it's kind of a combination because Obviously, I believe in a parent's right to be able to educate their child the way they want to educate their child. There's some limitations to that, right? I, I don't think that if you're educating your child to go out and put on suicide vests, yeah, that's, a, that's abuse. Um, but by the same token, when, you, when the state essentially tells a parent that unless you can afford an alternative, you have to, by law, send your child to the school that the government operates, and now that school is going to essentially put forward an ideology without a great deal of counter perspective. Um, it's now going to be a centralized ideology that tells them that if they stray from this ideology, that makes them a racist, that makes that they're them- they're supposed to feel bad about yeah. themselves. And, the, and I, I will tell you, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you're just talking about extremes and, the, the, you know, the children don't really feel that way or this and that. But I will give you a real example of how this is already turning the culture inside of the school at Fairfax toxic. You know, we get a lot of emails and phone calls at Do Better FCPS, I mean, daily. And, and there was one a couple months ago that really broke my heart. Mm -hmm. um, it was from a teacher and she said, I have been a teacher in Fairfax County for 23 years. I'm close to retiring. I've thought about emailing you many times, but I finally, you know, have the courage to come in and tell you my story. And she said, I can no longer be who I am in my workplace. I have to hide who I vote for. I have to hide my feelings. I have to hide my thoughts because the workplace is so political and so toxic that I, I cannot express my own views because I would be bullied, made fun of, that the entire teacher's lounge, the school, the hallways are just full of teachers making one-sided political jokes, harassing, talking behind other teachers' backs who are of, you know, the other political persuasion. Mm -hmm. And this runs rampant. I mean, to me, that is workplace harassment, mm -hmm. you know, that the school is just allowing because it falls in line with this exact ideology that it's okay if you don't, we're all going to believe this one side mm -hmm. and it's okay to call anybody else who doesn't believe in it names, mm -hmm. harass them, bully them, 
um, tell them that they're wrong, that they're racist, that they're white supremacists, every name in the book. And now we have actual staff, staff who've given their entire careers to school saying, I, I can't, I cr go to work and I cry and I hide in the corner mm. because I, if I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to be bullied. Well, and, it, and it's amazing because there's going to be some people to look at that and say, yeah, oh, that's hyperbolic or that doesn't really happen. And, and I'm looking at a statement from one of my colleagues in the Virginia House of Delegates, Delegate Marcus Simon, who took another group that has been fighting, they were fighting to open up Fairfax County Public Schools and to try to get, you know, in-place learning. And, and some, some idiot group, you know, put out some sort of white supremacist, you know, thing. And, and we don't even know if it was, you know, a false flag. We don't know if it was a hoax. You know, but the bottom line is that the organization in, in, that was saying that, look, we need in-person learning for our children, our children are falling behind. And then you have organizations like yours that are saying, look, we just want to do better. We want more parental involvement. We don't want this kind of, you know, one size fits all jammed down our throats. And Marcus Simon says, essentially, he goes, well, I'm not saying that all of them are KKK, but when the KK is on your, KKK is on your side, you got to rethink your priorities. And, and then you've got Joy Reid, you know, on the national level saying that this is all radicalized parents. And, and it's amazing to me because, okay, Joy Reid's kind of a talking head, whatever. Marcus Simon's a sitting representative representing Fairfax in the House of Delegates, essentially calling his constituents or, or, or making this comparison with the KKK. And you, you think about that. Now, take that sort of mindset and put it into our schools and put our teachers in a position where they feel like if they have a problem with this, they're going to be punished, they could potentially be suspended, their careers are going to be stunted. And then create an environment where students believe that as soon as they walk into a classroom, they have to analyze the entire situation based off of their skin color and the skin color of everyone else in the room. Like that has to be the lens for which they view their interactions. Don't tell me you're not creating an environment of bullying or creating an environment where we've now categorized people based off of skin color and God help you if you step out of line because your own representatives will compare you to the Klan. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make a, a crazy, crazy observation here. But, Sue, I don't see you as being a talking point for the, the Klan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I've tried to uh, make the point that these associations are literally very dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know, it's dangerous to our community members. It's dangerous to our families, to our children, um, that you don't make... I don't know if you want to call it a joke or whatever. You don't make statements like that. Um, I I had, you know, on social media asked the groups, uh, you know, the the group that had, you know, put together the rally prior um, to not use the school board meetings as rally points. That you know mm -hmm. that is just first of all, the school board meetings are not supposed to be political rallies. Mm -hmm. um, and I said this is. You know, I knew even before it happened, I go, I, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm asking you guys to not hold a rally in front of, you know, I've, I've had to push through crowds of shouting, screaming people just to use my First Amendment rights to speak at a local school board meeting. Um, you know, people have been worried about my safety, just walking in and out of that building. I mean, this, that's, that's an incredible thought to just even fathom, mm -hmm. right? Um, and 
there is just nothing I can say to say to people, we're not part of the KKK. I mean, they tweet will tweet back something like, oh, she thinks that just because she's a minority, she can't be a white supremacist. That's the response I get. I mean, it just, you know, you know, so it's like, I, I literally cannot, they've made it so we cannot defend ourselves on, well, on yeah. that. And, but should I have to defend myself on, yeah. on that train of thought? I mean, it's just ridiculous that that train of thought is there. We are for transparency, accountability for the $3.3 billion that this school system takes out of our taxpayers' wallets. Mm -hmm. And we just want them to do a better job with it. Well, I think what, I mean, look, I think if, if you're just standing back for a moment, right, again, regardless of where you feel on CRT, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, if you stand back for a moment and you look at what, what's going on here, this is a tactic, right? It, it, it is always a tactic. And they, you know, refer to it to as otherizing people or whatnot. But essentially, it's if you, can, if you can put a person into a particular category in the minds of people, if you can say, oh, they are a white supremacist or they are a racist or whatever it is. If you can put that, that if you can plant that seed in people's minds, people automatically stop listening to whatever argument you're making because, and, and honestly, if you think about it, the fact that that tactic works demonstrates something about the American psyche. It's the idea that, no, as a culture and as a society, we don't accept people that are white supremacists. We don't accept people that, that are, are racist because we look at them as being beyond the, the, the Overton window with respect to what we will accept in our, in our discourse. And what's amazing is that we, we're, they're creating a situation where now when someone says, I, I don't agree with this particular line of reasoning and here's why, oh, you're a white supremacist. Well, okay, you're not. You haven't demonstrated any of those tendencies. You haven't made any of those statements. You're not affiliated with groups that do that. There's essentially no logical reasoning behind making that association with you. But for the person that's not paying attention, if they get that in their head, that is so taboo. And again, I think that says something, it says something good about the United States where to be a racist, to be a white supremacist is so taboo that it automatically bans you from the public square. The danger I see now is that what's, in, what's happening is that they are using that rhetoric as a tool to remove people from the discussion who aren't white supremacists, who aren't racist. To, to just not have a discussion at all. Yeah. I mean, they're, they just want to take the intellectual discussion off the table, you know, mm -hmm. just by shouting QAnon. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what QAnon is, you know, <laughs> but they they keep saying that I'm a part of it. I don't I don't even know what the definition of, of what you know would you know what how to how do I you <laughs> know yeah what, what's the what's the official what, yeah you know. what's the official like how do I join like <laughs> you know I don't I don't really even understand what that means but you know it's unfortunate that people don't want to join in a higher level discussion for that because I, I literally, you know, nobody, you know, we're, we're a group of an extremely diverse group of parents, not just politically, but, you know, religion wise, race wise, social economic background wise, um, you know, and definitely family makeup wise, you know, in terms of, you know, some of us have children that were, you know, going to TJ. Some of us have children that, really, you know, you know, military families that, you know, move in and out. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're so diverse in the people that support the, the movement that we've created that it's 
just laughable to say, oh, you are X, because yeah. I struggle to describe, our, you know, the people that support us because there's just no one, mm-hmm. um, there's no one descriptor for it. And, you know, if, if it, if there's anything we have in common, I would say that we've been very upset that the bore has become so blatantly partisan mm-hmm. on their side and so blatantly on the union side. And we have really wanted to push back on that. Now, does that make our pushback partisan? Of course it is, because when you push back on a partisan action, it's going to be partisan by definition, you know, and well, action is going to have cause a reaction. What I think what's interesting about this, is like specifically, if, if critical race theory was just being taught in the university, or it was just a, a concept that we were all talking about in, in the public space, there would be people that would oppose it. There would be people that would agree with it. There would be people that you know maybe agreed with some parts, disagreed with others, etc. It would be a conversation. The reason why I, I don't think, and, and this is the part that I know frustrates me when I think about the circumstances you've had to deal with, when we're talking about public school, we're no longer talking about a free conversation out of the public sphere. We're now talking about your tax dollars will be confiscated in order to use it for a particular purpose, and that's going to be used on your children. This is no longer adults having a, a conversation. It's not even students learning multiple perspectives. It's parents being forced to finance a particular ideology within our public school system and teaching our kids that if they don't, if they don't subscribe to this ideology or they ask questions about this ideology, that's indicative of them being racist. And, and I'm looking at this going, my gosh, how, how do I not come to the conclusion that this falls within the realm of indoctrination, not education? You know, I think people are forgetting that our very country was founded on freedom, mm-hmm. on freedom of religion, a freedom of, you know, just being able to believe what you want to believe. That's why we have America. And now we're saying, oh, the right way to teach our future generations is to do the exact opposite to them and just say that you don't have the freedom of choosing to have self-analysis and to say that this isn't the only way to view society. Because what we are talking about is a, a view on society. This is, again, it's not a history lesson, mm-hmm. right? It's not a history lesson. We, Everyone is for expanding our view and our teaching of history, global history, United States history, um, you know, expanding our view of, you know, art history, of, of all kinds of ways that we have maybe traditionally been, you know, viewing things historically and, and the events and the things that, that matter to us. But this is about saying we can only view the economy a certain way. We can only view our country a certain way. We can only view politics a certain way. And that is to exactly strip backwards the founding of our country mm-hmm. um, on its head. Um, and you know, for those people who say, well, if you don't like it, then take your kids out. I mean, the majority of families can't afford to do that. Well, I find, I find this interesting, too, because you, whenever someone on the, the right says something like, well, if you don't like this country, you can leave. Oh, my gosh, you're, you're racist, you're xenophobic, you're, you know, you're all these things. But then their response to you right. is, well, if you don't like the way the school's going, well, then, then homeschool your kids, take them out. We're still going to take your money. Right. 
But you no longer get any benefit from the. <laughs> okay, well then exempt me from yeah. my taxes. Yeah. You know, give me my money back. Yeah. Um, no, 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 no. That's where obviously you know this is your been your ploy all along is to get that school choice, and that's why we're not going to listen to you. No, it's not. It, this has nothing to do with it. You just. You you gave me that alternative. You know, yeah. you gave me that idea, and yeah. I'm saying, okay. Well, if you're going to give your if, idea, if you're going to give the parent an ultimatum, where, right. the, where the parent comes in and says, "Look, I think you're teaching things that are you know potentially harmful," or I just I don't think you're being objective in the way that you're teaching things. If their response is, "Well, we're not going to take into consideration your perspective, or we don't care about your perspective, or if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else," in any other environment. It would be perfectly reasonable for a parent to say, well, then if you're telling me I have to go somewhere else, well, then I want to take the funding that is also allocated for my students somewhere else. And then like, aha, that's what you really want. Okay, well, whether well, it is or whether... Actually, not what yeah, I wanted. Right. I wanted to send my child to yeah. a public school where they got a quality education. Yeah, yeah. Remember, that well, was our mission to begin with. And, and it's, but it's amazing <laughs> to me that they come to that conclusion. Um, because somewhere, at some point, what they acknowledge is, is that well, if, if we can't have your kid, we still want your money. And it's, well, well, wait a second. If I'm such a horrible, evil, horrible, you know, human being and I, and I got this money within a capitalist system, oh my gosh, you know, why would you want it? But the, the larger argument, and, you know, we've, we were talking a little bit before this as well, and I, and I think this goes into, there's a lot of people that want to put this exclusively into a left-right paradigm. And I don't think it's left-right as much as it is reasonable versus unreasonable on some of this because I think if you were to get, if you were to get a majority of the, the parents of students in Fairfax in a room and you were to say, okay, list the top five priorities that you have for your child's education, you're probably going to get some differences. But the things that you will probably see every single parent say is obviously I want my kids to read, I want them to be able to write, and I want them to be able to do you know, math and sciences up to a certain level because regardless of what else happens in life, they're going to need to do basic math, they're going to need to read, they're going to need to be able to articulate themselves and communicate effectively with other people. Okay, well, if, if everybody agrees on those things, then I would think in, in an environment where we believe in, in some degree of compromise, Okay, these are going to be the priorities then. We're going to focus on this. And guess what? Math, it, it's not left or right. Math is not you know, racial. Math is this, you know, let's look at, okay, what are the different best ways to teach math? What's the best ways to teach literacy? What's the best ways to teach you know, communication and, and just articulating yourself? We, we do all this science. Like the scientific method is, is racially neutral, right? It belongs to everybody. But I, I feel like we've gotten to a point within a lot of our, our public school system where like you said, it has become so ideological from a, from a political perspective that math, literacy, reading, science, this is now taking a back seat to a political ideology. Absolutely. And, you know, being a math teacher, I get this question all the time. You know, Ms. Zoldak, why do we have to learn this? We're never going to encounter this math problem ever again in our lives. And I used to say, well, it's not about whether you're going to encounter this exact math problem later in life. Learning math is about exercising your brain. It's about building the muscle and the critical problem-solving muscle in your brain. You know, you don't practice free throws because you think that a free throw is going to save your life. Mm -hmm. It's about practicing discipline, you know, muscle memory, like learning a skill that is valuable, being part of a team. Like, mm -hmm. it's that's what math is. It's about 
exercising critical thinking、mm-hmm. and knowing that okay, if I can apply logic in this way, I will be able to solve all kinds of other problems. That is the opposite of what's happening、mm-hmm. with this critical race theory teaching.、Mm-hmm. It's teaching kids not to have their own, ironically, critical thoughts.、Yeah. And my question is. Do we not trust our children anymore? Do we not believe that children can make unracist thoughts on their own? That they can grow up and through learning and through experience and through seeing the world through their own eyes, that they could potentially be better than us. That they can do a better job. That they can grow up and make a better America. Do is their word view is so negative、mm-hmm. that it's saying you have to read this one book and follow these exact rules, or else、mm-hmm. you're going to end up being racist.、Mm-hmm. And if you deviate from this handbook by even a millimeter, you in fact already are just wrong, and you know you're. On such a bad path that you will have no, you know,、mm-hmm. salvation.、Mm-hmm. That to me is so unhelpful and so negative as to just, and and actually so unloving of a child. What is? I'll tell you the other thing that's interesting to me about this is, you know, my my background was actually in Army Special Operations. I studied unconventional warfare, counterinsurgency, and we we studied things like ideology. Um, and and how it motivated people's decisions and and things like that, and one of the things that I find interesting about this, not just from my military experience, but going all over the world, was if you wanted to, if if your objective or the objective of government was to control people,、um, there was this there multiple ways that people could attempt it. Some of it was through fear. Um, some of it through was through you know what the Romans called bread and circuses, but one of the most effective ways was to was to get people to think things about themselves. That no matter how obviously wrong it might be from the outside looking in, once somebody had captured onto an idea where this is just this is what they believed about themselves in reality, that was the most effective long term way to control people. And it was scary to watch watch governments put that into effect. But what I what I the reason why I bring this up is when we look at the criticism of, of critical race theory, race theory, we see it specifically as a lens for which to view reality. I do think it puts children at a fairly young age into a category where they walk into a classroom, and again, based off of their skin color, they have to analyze everything around them. Through the lens of critical race theory, through the lens of the lens of skin color, and that inevitably puts them into one of two categories: you're the oppressor, or you're the oppressed. And psychologically, I see that as horribly damaging for both sides. There's been some critiques of, of criticism that focus mainly on the why would you tell why would you tell some poor white kid in Appalachia that they're part of an oppressor class? Yeah, that's horrible. The other thing that I don't understand about this that I think is every bit as damaging is why would you tell a bunch of minority students within the United States that is living in a time of unprecedented opportunity that they are automatically by virtue of their skin color oppressed?、Yeah. Like psychologically, what was what does that do to the way that they view reality, or the way that they view the world, the way they view you know their their counterparts? And then what's the objective? Is the objective to be Part of the oppressor class, like where, where do you? 
at what point have you achieved is, is the, because if the objectives have no oppressor, I certainly understand that. But I, I other, than, other than coming to the conclusion that from a political standpoint, if you're someone that is essentially advocating for this view of the world, and, and you are convincing a minority student in the United States that there's no way they can get ahead, that the system is completely built around or built against them, and that the only way that they can achieve anything is if they align themselves with the right politi uh, politician, the right movements, and then their success will not be as a result of them doing a better job with respect to work ethic or critical thinking or developing you know, greater care. No, 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 it's exclusively tied to the political narrative, like the political organization they align themselves with. That is the only method to success. That's a form of control. It, it absolutely is, and it's, it's leading down a road that has, you know, here's where we probably all agree, we actually should teach more history, is leading down a road that has never worked. It's leading down a road where you have everyone believing, well, the only way to get ahead is if we trust the government to give us everything and dole it out equally because every other system is quote unquote unjust so college should be free you know maybe we should all have a monthly stipend you know maybe our first house should be free i mean where does that end but then you have nobody producing at the top end of the economy and the whole economy collapses like it has in every other communist society, right? And everybody is poor because if nobody can have, you know, the equal amount of anything, nobody has anything, right? And we've seen this factually borne out again and again. And so, you know, I don't think people understand the connection between these yeah. two things. Um, and it, it is that scary. It is that scary that you're, you're telling these children that there is absolutely nothing positive in capitalism. There's nothing positive in fighting for your own way because fighting for your own way is, is white supremacy. There's nothing positive in taking something that isn't yours and making your own because God forbid you want a salsa dance you know, when you're not Latin or yeah. you, God forbid you want to make you know, a taco truck when you're Korean, yeah. you know, you're canceled or God forbid, you, know, you can't expand, you can't innovate, you can't think at all. That's what it's telling these children. And you should just wait for someone to make it all fair. Mm -hmm. um, that is, a, you know, the end game to that is total destruction. Well, I think you bring, I think you bring up a good point too. It's, you know, people hear critical race theory and they think this came out of nowhere. No, it didn't. Like critic, the whole critical theory school with respect to Frankfurt, and, and critical theory used to be primarily focused on the economic side with respect to class warfare. It was very Marxist origins with respect to the you know the bourgeois versus the proletariat, the ruling class, and but it was it was all within economic spectrum. And the problem with that is that when you did go to more free market oriented countries. Well, the proletariat wasn't buying it because they had the ability to move up the economic ladder and provided that they followed simple things. And the Brookings Institute, which is a left of center of organizations, even said it, the bottom line, get a job, keep a job, you know, wait to have kids in, until you're in a stable, you know, economic and merit or social environment, you know, and then, you know, graduate high school. You know, you do these things, you're not going to be, you're not going to be poor in the United States. There's like less than a 4% chance you'll be poor. So 
if, if critical theory was originally based on this from an economic perspective, and too many people were able to rise up through the system, well then it challenges the entire critical narrative of, no, 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 you're, you're irretrievably in a particular class and that's who you are. Well, people didn't find that to be the reality. So what did they do? Well, now with critical race theory, now it's based off of your skin color. Well, <laughs> there, there's no, quote, escaping your skin color, no should there, should there be a desire to escape your skin color. But now if we're saying that, okay, we can't view it through the lens of pure economics anymore because history has demonstrated that that's not reality. So now let's view it through the, the lens of race because now we can create a narrative where essentially you're, you're stuck in that environment and the only way you're going to have any success is that if you essentially surrender your individual hopes, dreams, ambition, essentially if you surrender your right to pursue happiness, then the government or this politician or this group will give you some sense of meaning or purpose or some sort of higher calling. But you have to surrender that individual pursuit of happiness. And I just, I find that so antithetical to what the American experiment is supposed to be about. Not to say that we've always lived up to it in this country, but at the, at the core fiber, it was there. I mean, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness was written into the document. And if you look at civil rights leaders from Booker T. Washington, uh, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, they didn't throw out those ideals and throw out the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Fed. They embraced those ideals, held it up as a mirror to the rest of us and said, you're not living up to them. And I feel like that's completely been transplanted with this, this notion that you have to surrender you know, your individual character, your individual hopes, dreams, ambitions, pursuit of happiness for what this particular collective tells you you have to do. And, and again, all we're asking is for our public school system, which is paid for by tax dollars, to teach both concepts mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. it's not to ban one or the other mm -hmm. but everything that you just described you know why aren't we allowing the kids to again don't we trust them mm -hmm. to understand both sides of this argument and make a decision as to which philosophical idea they think makes sense mm -hmm. let allow them to choose why aren't teachers required to teach both viewpoints or you know in, in any philosophy class do you have a professor that only teaches one mm -hmm. philosopher but not any of the others and does no comparing and contrasting because that's what we're having here and why is it a bad thing when parents say wait a minute we want a more diverse teaching environment and we want teachers that have are committed to teaching a diverse education. That should be, that is the basis of a quality education. That is the definition of a quality education. Um, you know, I encourage everyone to, to watch the movie version of Arthur Brooks' book, The Conservative Heart, which is, I think, now available for free. It used to be on HBO, but now is for free, available on YouTube, where he traveled the world to the poorest areas in the world, the poorest economies. And he really asked these people, what is it that you want most? How can we get you mm -hmm. out of poverty? And they all said, what got me out of poverty was a free market mm -hmm. where I could sell my goods, set mm -hmm. the price, be an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. that what every single person described, whether it's you know from India to you know 
where you know he traveled to africa india all around the world and this is an amazing amazing documentary um to just show like this is what some of these principles mean to people and the why you know why does this matter to our discussion of critical race theory it's that these are the kinds of things that our children should be exposed to mm-hmm. is various philosophies and ideas mm-hmm. is that so much to ask for i don't think it is but <laughs> but but the bottom line is is that you guys are you guys are fighting an uphill battle in in Fairfax County and again if if you're watching if you're listening you know again regardless of what Marcus Simon or Joy Reed or anyone else has to say i didn't hear anything today coming from you you know the the do better um Fairfax County Public Schools. I didn't hear anything from you that would have suggested to me that you're a racist, a white supremacist, that you're not open to different ideas, that you're not open to even a, 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 a debate with respect to critical race theory versus other theories and other ways of viewing the world. And yet that's how you've been caricatured. And one of the things that I want to make sure everyone has an opportunity is to know how can they, if, if they agree with what you're doing and what you're saying, how can they get involved? How can they reach out? How can they share stories? How can they do that? Yes, so our website is www.dobetterfcps.com and there you can sign up for our email list. You can find resources like an FCPS budget uh, spending tracker where you can search for how much they've paid every single vendor. Um, You can see all the Twitter handles and email addresses of everybody on the school board as well as a superintendent. And then um, on Twitter, we're at at dobetterfcps.com. And then we're also on Facebook and those are all linked from our website. Well, again, Sue, I appreciate you taking the time. I I want to tell everybody as well that, look, the, the bottom line is Sue didn't have to do any of this. Right, you, you could have been happy in your life, not in the line life, not getting slammed. Yeah, not your day job. You still got you still got everything else to do as a professional, as a parent, etc. Um, again, let, let's boil this all down. This this really is a question of what is appropriate within our public school system, especially when you have a system where the government is going to take your money, regardless. And if you can't afford an alternative, your child will go to these schools. They will go to the school, they will learn this curriculum, and you need to understand, we're not just talking, one of the ways they get around talking about this and and the statements that you saw from the president of um, the American Federation of Teachers, they'll say, well, well, this isn't in our curriculum. Wait a second, no, go look at the different reading. You're putting this in the books. Not only that, but you're requiring teachers to go through this sort of training, right? So you can't think of it as this is a book they're getting on critical race theory. Think of it as this is a lens for which your children are being taught to view every subject they take. Art, philosophy, history, English, math, science must be viewed through this lens. And if it's not, your child's a potential racist. If you're not upset about that or if you're not least concerned about that or at least not want you know, that to be the only thing that your children learn, that if you, you want them to come over and, and be exposed to counter perspectives, you need to help people like Sue because they're already in the front lines. They're already on the ground. They've already organized people. They're already talking about this in incredibly reasonable, open-minded ways. And that's what ultimately is going to be the difference in this debate. Okay, if you're sitting at home yelling at Facebook or yelling at the news channel and you're not actually getting on board with organizations and people that are really trying to do a good, credible job of countering this and offering different perspectives, then you're not really mad about it, right? You're just slightly irritated. 
And so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the hard sell right now. We need more people that are gonna join Sue, they're gonna join people like her that are making the argument on why this is not appropriate in our public education system with respect to the way it's currently being pushed, which is to say that you will believe this way or you will be punished. You will believe this way or you will be ostracized. If you're a teacher, you will believe this way or you could potentially lose your job or be suspended or have your career completely thrown off track. Right? If that's not the sort of educational environment you want your kids growing up in, bottom line is you can't sit on the sidelines. You're going to have to do something about it. And joining organizations like Sue's and helping the people that are already out there doing a good job of it is step one. They can help maximize whatever time, whatever resources that you have to put toward this particular fight by joining with people that have already demonstrated that they're doing it you know, effectively that's one of the best ways to maximize your voice. So I highly encourage you to do that. I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Thank you again, Sue, for joining us. Thank you. And we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.